recognize our own powerlessness and yet at the same time realize how great the power of God is within us. It is such a remarkable truth that God is so good and God is so great that He can overcome even you and I and conform us to the image of Christ. To no longer be um, selfish, to no longer be hurtful, to no longer be faithless. What a great and mighty miracle of God that is. But our God is so great, our God is so mighty, that He can accomplish that in each and every one of us, as if we were the only one that He was giving all of His time and attention to. I don't think we really have any, any real appreciation for how great our God is. And when we do, when we do, I really believe that the only appropriate and proper response is one of adoration. I believe, it, I believe it leads to worship. I believe it leads to humility. I believe it leads to um, a deep, deep abiding joy as we just realize, oh, how great and good our God is. It's just wonderful. I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter. We have reached the, uh, the conclusion of our study of 1 Peter. I wanted to wrap it up. I really, I, I have to be honest with you, I have six pages of notes uh, those of you who know what that means, I just I don't know how. Uh, six pages of notes is nothing but passages. It's just passages in First Peter. I just wanted to make a couple of statements as we look through these things. I imagine that we'll come back to them. Before we, uh, before we do that, though, I want to give you an idea of the calendar in the next, uh, about the next month-ish. So this morning, we will look at uh, First Peter. We'll begin uh, the conclusion of First Peter. And then tonight, we will assemble together, and we have begun a new ministry. You can find it in your bulletin. It says, tonight during the evening service, knowing God, walking with Christ together. The point of this ministry is this. And we'll talk about it a little bit together tonight. If you go to the book of Judges, you'll find that the book of uh, Judges is a book of unbelief. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really, there's a lot of tragedy in the book of Judges. Uh, everyone is doing that which is right in their own eyes, is what you find in the book of Judges. But how did they get there? Uh, the book before that is Joshua, and historically this is true. In other words, this book historically comes just before Judges. So in the book of Joshua, there's a tremendous deal of faith. God is doing marvelous things, and He's doing it in the lives of the Israelites as they're trusting Him. Now when you get to the book of Judges, you can just look at this for yourself. When you get to the book of Judges, it says that, so long as Joshua was alive, they served Jehovah. They served God. They served the true and living God. And everyone that was alive during that generation, and remember, Joshua and Caleb were a generation older than everyone else because everyone else died in the wilderness. That generation died in the wilderness. So these are younger people than Joshua. But Joshua and Caleb are older people. So even the younger people, if you will, are closer to my age than they are to my children's age. But what happened is this. As that generation grew older, it says they continued to serve God. They continued to serve Jehovah. But what that means is they didn't serve Baal or Ashtaroth. They didn't serve the false gods that were in Canaan. But their, their walk with God was so shallow that when the next generation came up, they didn't know God. They didn't know Jehovah. They didn't know His works. They didn't know His power. 
They didn't know his love. And so they drifted into basically just church going. They continued to have some religion in their life, but they began to serve just any old God in any old place, doing whatever they wanted to do, and they began to do that which was right in their own eyes. But whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that the generation after Joshua didn't know God? And the answer is, it's the generation before them. So the point of this ministry know, uh, that we begin tonight, knowing God, walking with Christ together, is that we would begin to assemble. And here's the reason why we're doing this. Um, in the early church, people went to church in the town that they lived in. When I, where I grew up in Vermont, when you went to church, you went to church. There were two churches. If your town had two churches. If your town had two churches, it means it had a Catholic church and a Protestant church. It might be Methodist, it might be Presbyterian, it might be a lot of different things. But you went to one of those two places. And in some places, there was just one church. And so you went to that church. And maybe you drove to the next town, but you went to church with people you were around all week long. Now, let me ask you this honestly. In the, in the, where we are today, with the exception of your family, how many of the people, how many of you regularly run into the other people in our church in your normal week. I'm not saying you go over to their house for dinner. We invite each other over for dinner and that kind of a thing. And we do have other ministries throughout the week, so we end up finding ourselves together a little bit. But how, much have you, how many of you walk into each other at the store or at the, or at the uh, um, post office or that kind of a thing? And the answer is we just don't. So we're missing what the early church had. The early church had fellowship all the time with each other. They met publicly, and they met house to house. In other words, I will see you at, you know, where I grew up, again, where I grew up, my neighbors, our neighbors, spent time talking to each other. I don't spend a lot of time talking to my neighbors anymore. I'm not sure what's happened in America, but we drive to the places that we're going to do things together, if you understand what I'm saying. And so what's missing is, in the lives of our children, what's missing is hearing what God has done in your life, sir. Do you understand? How will they ever hear what God has done in your life if we don't purpose to sit down together, men with boys, ladies with girls, in small circles with the word of God opened and letting God allow us to share what God has shown us? Again, not showing off what we know because we really don't know that much. Sharing what God has shown us, the changes that he has made in our lives that our children and our grandchildren might actually hear, not plastic, phony testimony, but daily living. This is what God has done in my life. This is the victory that God has given. That they might know, you know what, I need to talk to Mrs. So-and-so, or I need to talk to Mr. So-and-so, because I need to hear what God did in their life, how he did that, and they can know the goodness and power of God. So we, we'll be doing that together tonight. Come tonight. We'll gather together at 6 o'clock as we, as we normally do, and then sometimes 6.20 to 6.30, we'll break into some small groups. Uh, again, it, it's not about, uh, now it, what we'll do, I will say this so, so we don't have to go through all of it this evening, although I'll probably say it again. When we split up tonight, fathers will take their sons with them, mothers will take their daughters with them. doesn't matter what the ages are. Mothers will take their daughters, fathers will take their sons. If there are young people who don't have a father or a, or a, or a mother that are here, We'll make sure that they're able to find their way into the appropriate group. And again, this is the first time. We started it on Saturday, the first Saturday at 9 o'clock. We had a great meeting. But this is the first time we've done it in a Sunday service. It's kind of 
what's the, what's the word? It's almost a little scary. We're going to come, we're going to get together, and we're going to do something different. You know, and that's always scary, right? So we're going to come, we're going to get together, we're going to do something different. And you know what? It may not go well tonight. It may not go well the next third Sunday. It may take a month or two months or three months before we really understand this. But the idea, I believe, is what God wants us to do. I really believe that God wants your children and grandchildren to hear what God has done in John James' life, to hear what God has done in Curtis Becker's life. I really believe that God wants our children to see the goodness and greatness of God in our lives. All right, that's enough for that right now. Turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to make a couple of comments. I can't teach all the way through this. I realized as I was doing this conclusion that the, the, our introduction to 1 Peter began in April of 2017. So we will have been in 1 Peter one year as we finish. It didn't seem like it was that long. Maybe it did to you. I don't know. But it didn't seem like it was that long when I was preaching it. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now what I want you to notice is this. This book begins by pointing out that this book are to all of those who are strangers in the world in which they live. In other words, those that realize that Jesus is the Christ and who have trusted them for their salvation, who have been changed and who now seem to be odd to those around them. They live all over the world, that's what it's saying here. And what I want you to notice is this. According to verse 2, I want you to notice God the Father is mentioned in verse 2, God the Holy Spirit is mentioned in, in verse 2, and, and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is mentioned in verse, in verse 2. So what we have, the Godhead has provided. God the Father knows those that are going to trust Him through all of eternity. God knows this. The idea of foreknowledge, some people have a problem with election. Some people have an, a, a strange idea that God picks certain people to be saved, and picks certain people to be lost. And that is not the case at all. Election is according to foreknowledge. God knows those that will trust Him, and God knows those who will never trust Him. The Lord Jesus, when He's speaking to some Pharisees, says to them, listen, and this is really important, He says, you will not come unto Me that you might have life. He doesn't say to them, you cannot come unto Me that you might have life. He says, you will not come unto Me that you might have life. I could never make that statement. I could never speak to a group of people who are unsaved today and say to them, you will never come to God because I don't know what they're going to do. But God does know what we're going to do. But it is not God's will that any should perish, right? God is not willing that any should perish. God, God's offer of salvation, God's free gift of eternal life is available to anyone, whosoever, believeth in him shall not perish. Any and all can. The Bible is very clear that, that, that God is exclusive in how you can know God, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, right? So there is one way to God, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But who can come? And the answer is literally everyone. 
There are approximately 7 billion people on the planet today, and Jesus' blood is enough for all 7 billion people. And God's love is toward all 7 billion people. Those that are going to die without God's grace in their life are going to do so because they reject that grace. Not because it wasn't available to them. Not because God didn't want to give it to them. Because our God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is God's desire that everyone would know. So that's what we see here clearly at the very beginning. Then I'm going to just read the next couple of verses. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Let's read those together. Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy. So if you are a new creature, you are a new creature because of the abundant mercy of God. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So he saved us and gave us new life and has an inheritance for us to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. I have to stop here. Every time I read this, I think of my grandmother's house and I know that sounds weird. Here's what happens. You go to my grandmother's house. I don't know if anybody else, if anybody else's grandmother's house was like this. My grandmother had these shelves in her dining room area and in her living room area, the shelves themselves were glass. And all of these things that were on it were sparkly beautiful, right? There was lighting in the glass, right, above it. And so it shone all the way through. And she had all of these things that were just, they were just so pretty. And you know how many of them I was allowed to touch? The answer is zero. 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 Now, that didn't keep me from touching them. Once, right? And then after I touched him once, I understood that she was serious about that, don't touch those things, right? Now, 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 my, now listen, my grandmother gave these away in her inheritance. But when we were little, we weren't allowed to touch them. You want to know why? Because if I'd have been allowed to play with them when I was little, they wouldn't have been there when I got older. Why? Because I'd have broken them, Right? Because I would have broken them. Here's what God wants you to understand about your eternal life. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. See, people, people want to argue about whether you can lose your salvation or not. You can't lose your salvation. Because Jesus Christ gives, us, gives to us eternal life. And we shall never perish. But why is this true? Why can we not lose such a great and wonderful thing? And the answer is because God won't let us play with it. See, your salvation, Jesus purchased for you. And you can't mess it up. Because God doesn't let you play with it. But not only that, it says in the verse, sixth verse, not only is our inheritance, not only is our eternity preserved for us, but it says we, those that have had this, he says who are kept, that's us, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto that salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So even now, I am kept. I am so thankful that I'm going to heaven because Jesus is going to get me there. See, if Jesus is the author of your salvation, then Jesus will be the finisher of your salvation. Now, if I'm the author of your salvation, or your parents are the author of your salvation, or the church is the author of your salvation, you're in big trouble. You need to junk that right now. And get a salvation that Jesus is the author of. 
You need a salvation that Christ has started and Christ will finish. Because he which hath, be, which he which hath begun a good work shall perform it. Praise God. This is what God wants you to understand. And then he goes on saying, now this is important. Now, at this point, I need to have you understand why we are in 1 Peter and where we are in our Bible. Keep your ribbon here and flip back five pages, let's say. If you flip back five pages, you should find yourself in Hebrews. Right? I'm going to say five pages. What I want you to do is just find the end of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. The book of Hebrews is the first general epistle. In the book of Hebrews, God begins to let us know what it is that we actually have. Those of us that are new creatures, what do you actually have? And then, starting in the book that comes after Hebrews, which is James, God starts testing our lives to find out what it actually is that we have. He already knows what you have. He wants you to know what you have. And if what you have isn't what you should have, he wants you to realize, I don't have the real thing. I don't have the real thing. I've got a false profession. I've got a religious effort. I do not have a biblical salvation. God wants you to know if you've got one, what that means, and if you don't have one, how you can have one. At the end of Hebrews chapter 13, I'm just going to start reading verses, uh, let's just read verses 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. This is the summarizing of the fact that we have a great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest, who not only goes before God on our behalf, but continually pours out in our lives the power of God through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And now look how this is said to us at the end of chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Him, that God, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? So here's this. So as you end the book of Hebrews, you have to see this. I have in my life, if you're a new creature, here's what you have. You have, and this is pictured. The reason it's brought up in the book of Hebrews is it's pictured in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And here's what you have. The high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood on behalf of all of Israel. Amen. And then he would come out from the Holy of Holies, come outside the tabernacle or the temple later. He would stand in the presence of all of Israel and he would literally raise his hands. Now, by the way, this is still done in many churches today. At the end of the service, it's a doxology kind of a thing. The preacher will raise his hand and pronounce a blessing on the people. It doesn't work that way. That's not what happens. But it did then. Now, we can picture this if we want to, but the truth of the matter is it's the Holy Ghost in you now where that power comes. So here's what's happened. The Lord Jesus Christ, on your behalf, went into the Holy of Holies with his own blood for your sake. And now, every day, every moment of every day, he pours out, through the Holy Ghost living in you, a whole new quality of life. Now, if you have that, it says he's going to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. This is the promise of God. The promise of God, the book of Hebrews says is this, I have so saved you that it can't be messed up. And I can, if you'll let me, change your life in such a way that everyone will see the change. 
and it will be glorious. Now turn the page, Hebrews 13, turn the page to James. In the book of James, God takes that whole new quality of life in the book of Hebrews and promises this, I will give you that whole new quality of life in your everyday life. Please look up here. Sunday Christianity is a terrible thing. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? God is not interested in you having something different this morning than you have tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning or Thursday night. God is not interested in that at all. That is not the promise of God. We did not gather together here in our shirts and ties and in our dresses to show off that we are good people. We came here because Jesus is the Christ. And we are being fed the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. But the whole point of the preaching and teaching is that you would know just how great your God is. That you would, that you would turn away from all of your effort and trust him to make the difference in your life, in your everyday life. So here's what the book of James says. That, that whole new quality of life, that's an everyday thing. That's an everyday thing. Now, God adds to that in the book of 1 Peter, which is where we are now. And I just read what God adds. Here's the difference. What's the difference between the book of James and the book of 1 Peter? And this is the difference. In the book of 1 Peter, God says this. It is going to be hard. Your everyday life after you're saved on this earth is going to be hard. And yet, verse 8 is the significant thing. Chapter 1, verse 8 of 1 Peter is the promise of 1 Peter. And here's what it says. Whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with what? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving now the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We have now, we have now the fullness of the Spirit of God changing us so wonderfully. Now hear me. Now let me say this. When I say what I'm getting ready to say, some of you are going to say this, but that's not true. And, the, and this, is the, this is the problem. Well, it's not true in your life, maybe, but it wasn't Hudson Taylor's. It wasn't Amy Carmichael's. And see, Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael were not extraordinary Christians. They were normal Christians. The problem is most Christians in America today are weak, anemic Christians. It is true. Do you understand? I have never with my eyes seen the Lord Jesus. And yet, and I believe this would be the testimony of many of you in here, nothing, nothing thrills my soul like Jesus. Nothing. What's remarkable is those who have heard the gospel a billion times, when they hear how great Jesus is, they just want to jump up and down again. Because the inward man, the new creature, when you got saved, the inward man delights in how great Jesus is all the time. All the time. And it is the only thing that changes me. I have found this. These books, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 3 John, and Jude, have had convicted me at some point, not that long ago, convicted me. I've been a saved man for a long time, but I have not had the power of God in my life that God wanted me to have. And again, because of the charismatic movement or the uh, Pentecostal movement or the holiness movement or whatever you want to call these things, because of those, we must understand what the power of God looks like. And what the, here's what the power of God looks like. The power of God looks like people who are living everyday hard life with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Listen, not trying to get out of the difficulty, but rejoicing in God's love in the difficulty. Rejoicing in God's love during the actual 
difficulty. And being able, you know, we were talking about this, I think we were talking about it in class on Tuesday night. I said, if we went back to Lazarus, Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus is already in the tomb, okay, in this, you, you know, what's that, the imagination station, right? You, you find yourself back in time, you're back, you're back at the Lazarus' tomb. He's already dead, he's already buried, Mary and Martha have already asked Jesus to come, he hasn't come yet, you're standing there with all these people, all these people are weeping, right? It's just an agonizing thing to watch, and Jesus walks up, right? And you see the Lord Jesus walking up with his disciples, and this is what you would say, this is what you'd say, oh, I've read this. I've read this. I know what's going on. I've read this. You guys, stop crying. Stop crying. Wait till you see what Jesus is going to do. Wait till you see what Jesus is going to do. You don't know this yet, but he can raise the dead. And he's going to raise Lazarus up. And they would laugh at you. And you say, that's okay. I don't care. You can laugh at me if you want. I read this. Right? And then Jesus does raise the dead. Here's the problem. Why is it that we know that God can raise the dead but we don't understand that he can win in whatever you're going through right now. Why is it, listen, why is it that while we're going through the, this book is all about you're going to go through those difficulties, but this book is saying to us, while you're going through the difficulty, you can, listen, this is not phoniness. This is not plastic. This is not let's talk pretty nice even though we don't believe anything great. No, if you understand how great Jesus is, he is going to do something good here. Right? He does know what he's doing and he is going to do something good here. Why? Because of who he is. You understand? Let's look at it again. Let's look at, let's look at what it says. So we got to go back a couple of verses in order to get the context of this, right? So we, we just got done, verse 4 and 5, really wonderful, right? This, we've, been, we've been born again in verse 3 by his abundant mercy. We have an inheritance that can't be messed up. We're kept by a God who won't let us go. And then it says in verse 6, wherein, because of this, right, you greatly rejoice. And then hear this, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, through manifold temptations. Now here's the thing. This theme is going to run all the way through this book. This is the theme. You're living here in a wicked world and it's going to be hard. But God is greater than that. And this is such an easy thing to explain to those of you that have ever been deployed. Anybody that's ever been deployed, anybody that's ever served in the military and had to go away into a terrible place, even if it's just on a ship, had to go away, in a and by the way, for those of you that have been deployed for six months, eight months on a ship, it is a terrible place, okay? Deployed, sent away, here's what you say. This is what you say while you're there. I'm only here for a little while, right? I have, I have got off the ship in many ports throughout the world and thought to myself, man, am I glad I don't live in this country, right? I can't wait, back to, I can't wait to get back to my own country, where things are not like this, what they're like right here. Do you understand? But here's what I've come to realize. This is not my home. The, even the United States of America. This, and boy, that's getting to be a happier thought, isn't it? That this is not our home forever. This is not my home. I have a home. And I have something to do while I'm here. But it's almost over. And I tell you, the Bible is very clear that life is but a vapor. Just like this. It's going to be over. Now, we're talking about, we're talking about 100 years in light of eternity. 100 years in light of eternity, whatever you're going through, the Bible says this. Whatever you're going through, the difficulty you're going through is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed, not to you, but in you. Man, I'm telling you, if we can, mean, I mean this, listen, people, 
If we can lay hold of how wonderful this is, it will change your praise. It will change your singing. It will change your Monday morning. It will change your Thursday afternoon. As we would lay hold of the fact that what God is saying to, this, to us clearly here is this. I want you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory the whole time you're here. And you are going to go through difficulties. But while you're going through them, don't just trust me. Trust me out loud. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Trust me out loud. Testify to my ability to overcome before you see it happen. Because he is able to overcome. Um, in the book of Proverbs, we spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. We will spend time together tonight in the book of Proverbs. Tonight we'll be in Proverbs 18. If you want to read it ahead, all you got to do is look at your calendar, right? Today's the 18th, so that's the, that's the proverb, right? The 31 Proverbs, so whatever the date on the calendar is, just read that one that day. Here's what we find out. The, the book of Proverbs says this. He that hath a merry heart has a continual feast. He that has a merry heart has a continual feast. You know what that means? And Does everybody understand this? Um, I can't think. Think of an event in your life. I can think of a couple events. Oh, I can think of this event. Uh, uh, Kathy said yes, right? A number of years ago, I asked Kathy if she'd marry me, and she said yes. Now, here's what that brought about, a joyful heart in my life, a merry heart in my life. Now, I don't remember what happened at work the next day or the day after that or the day after that because you know what the truth of the matter is? It doesn't even matter because Kathy said yes. Do you understand? He that hath a merry heart has a continual feast. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are so long as there's something going on in your life that's more wonderful than the circumstances, right? And, and, and here's the problem. We lose track of how great our salvation is. And so our salvation is not enough to overcome the difficulties in our life. But I promise you, your salvation is enough to overcome all the difficulties in your life if you could just see it as it actually is. If you could just realize how good God is, how great his love toward you is, and how eternally safe you were, you'd say, oh, this is just part of the journey. This is just part of the journey. And whatever God is going to teach me in this part of the journey, he's going to show me so that I can tell somebody else about it. Listen, so that when they go through it, I can say to them, oh, wait, 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 wait. I read this already. I lived this already. Let me tell you what God's going to be able to do in your life. Amen? Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost comes, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Ghost comes, you will receive power. And because of that power, because of the change in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you shall be witnesses unto Him. So what God is doing in our lives in this book is making it clear. And this is so, listen, I can see it. Right now, in most of your faces, there's just, there, now some of you, there's a, an intent looking, if you mean, in a good way. Some of you are like, is this really possible? But some of you are just like, when will he be done? God wants you, listen, God wants you to get up from this room in just a few minutes and walk out of here and understand either, either I can simply rejoice in the goodness of God all the time or I need to understand it so that I can do that. Because it is the will of God, according to the word of God, it is the will of God that we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It doesn't mean we don't weep for other people. It doesn't mean we don't care about other people. In fact, I will tell you that your care for other people will go way, way up as you start to understand just how secure you are. When you realize how great your salvation is, your care for others will go way up. And your weeping for others will go way up. If you want to see, let's see it. You want to see it together? Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, at the end of Romans chapter 8, you are spiritually aware of the goodness of God. Go to Romans chapter 8.
We're going to go to verse 31, which is obviously going to be a summarizing verse. You'll recognize it when we get there. Verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if God gave us his son to save us, what is he going to keep from us now? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Which, by the way, 1 Peter is written to, right? It is God that justifies. Praise God that it's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or, so or sword? Shall any of these things separate us from the love of God in Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep. For the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, this by the way, persuaded means completely convinced. For I am completely convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? I'll be honest with you, when you read that, if you read that alone, if you read that by yourself, maybe with a Victorious Valley Girl song in the background while you're reading it, you might just get up and act a little happy feet about it, Right? You might just start to really lay hold of just how great your salvation is, how complete your salvation is, and you might just run around for a minute and just rejoice in the goodness of God. And by the way, please do. Enjoy how great a salvation you Testify out loud to how great a salvation you have. Now, with that in mind, though, notice what happens right after that. Notice chapter 1, verse 9. And again, the chapter divisions were not there when God gave us the Word of God. We put them in so we could find places. Do you understand? If we didn't have chapter divisions in verse numbers, it would take us forever to find the same place in any book we were studying. So that's why they're there. But it wasn't there originally. So you have to understand that verse 39 goes right into verse 1 of chapter 9. Now notice what it says. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now look up here. So what's the point? What's the point? I am overjoyed with my salvation. But my heart is broken for those that don't have it. Yes? I am over, if it, if it weren't, listen, if it weren't for the fact that there are people around us that are lost and need to be saved, Christians should be the happiest people in the world all the time. All the time. Why? Because it doesn't matter what's going on, I'm saved, right? You say, oh yes, but blah, 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 yak, yak, yak is going on in your life. I don't care, I'm saved, right? Yes, but this is going to happen tomorrow. I don't care, I'm saved. They're going to, tomorrow they're, Peter, Peter, tomorrow they're going to kill you. I don't care, I'm saved, right? The angel has to literally hit him. Get up, Peter, get up. I'm helping you escape from prison. Oh, I thought I was going home tomorrow. Amen? It's a marvelous thing. But 
because there are people around us that aren't saved, we are brokenhearted. And we should be brokenhearted. So the point that I'm making is this. The joy unspeakable and full of glory that we have, we are meant to have in our daily lives. It is meant to be the, the daily reality of our lives, but it won't take the weeping away. You understand? It's not meant to take the weeping away. It's meant to change your heart while you're weeping. Because all I really care about is that they would know Jesus. Do you understand? Not that I'd be delivered from the circumstances. Not that they'd be delivered from the circumstances. But that they would see Jesus in the circumstances. And the best way for people to see Jesus in their circumstances is for them to see Jesus in my circumstances. Yes? So while I'm going through whatever I'm going through, I don't have to be all meh, meh, me, me. <laughs> don't have to. I really don't. I am that way sometimes. That's my fault. I don't have to be that way. Why? Because Jesus is better than that. Jesus is greater than that. And I'm telling you, I'm going home soon. Soon, soon. None of us will be here soon. The youngest of you in here, soon, eternally speaking, you're all going to be gone. I hope, I hope, I really desire strongly that you know this Lord Jesus. That you understand this kind of a salvation and that you can live in the light of that now. The people you go to work with, your, your, your neighbors, your, your extended family, they need Jesus. They don't need to be a Baptist. Do you understand? They don't need your sets of rules. That's not what they need. Now, things will change in their life just like things change in your, in your life when you were saved. But they need Jesus. That's what they need. And they need to see the power of God on display where? Where are they going to see the power of display on God? That's why you're there. That's why we're alive. See, when Jesus saved us, he could have just taken us right to heaven. And that would have been great. But guess what? The person that led me to Christ was still here. That's how I got led to Christ. And so you and I are still here. Why? So that people can see the change in our lives, the joy in our lives, the satisfaction of Christ in our lives. And when they see it, they can say, how can you be like that in the midst of blah, 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 yak, yak, yak? And you can say, Jesus is wonderful because he actually is. God's not asking us to pretend. Turn back to 1 Peter. We'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 1. It may take us more than a day to get through the sum summarizing of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be done here. Let me just say this. Going back, so we have that joy unspeakable and full of glory in verses 8 and 9. And then in verse 13 it says this. Now here, we're going to end here. It seems like a strange place to end, but I believe this is what God, notice what it says. Verse 13, wherefore, because this is true, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace of that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So now, now look up here. So here's the thing. Because of the power of God, because of the power of God in your life, because of the power of God in my life, I can live a different life than I was living before. Really, we can. And I thank God that we can. And that, listen, that different life is not a look at me, I'm better than you life. It is simply this. I have been set free. Sin no longer has dominion over me anymore. I don't have to live like I, I don't have to be selfish anymore. I don't have to be mean anymore. I don't have to be that way anymore. Thank God I don't have to be like that anymore. I don't have to hurt people anymore. Praise God, I don't have to hurt people anymore. It doesn't have to be about you. It doesn't have to be about me. Thank God for that. Amen. And he says, because he that has saved you is like that, 
You can be like that. We misunderstand what holy is. We think holy is not, holy is not chewing tobacco anymore or, 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 or not, you know, you know, drinking Bacardi 151 anymore. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, those things were changed in my life when I was saved. But holiness is not, that's not what holiness is. God is holy and God is love. Holiness is the ability to be actually helpful to people instead of caring about me all the time. To be able to live a selfless life, that's how you and I have been set free. God has set us free to be able to live a, a life where we can help other people. Praise God for that. Because, so gird up the loins of your mind. Understand, we do live in a wicked world. And by the way, your flesh, your flesh has been judged, but it's not gone. Right? And it will bother you every day. Your flesh wants its way every day. Anybody testify to that? My flesh wants its way every day? Yeah, my flesh wants, you know, you know, you ever been around, some children wake up, and they wake up in their crib, and they laugh, and they giggle, and they coo, right? And some children wake up in their crib like this. Right? Well, that's my flesh every morning, right? My flesh wakes up every morning and immediately demands attention, right? This is why the Apostle Paul said he buffeted his flesh. Look, you can't have your way. You're not my friend. You don't help me, and you hurt everybody around me. But the Holy Spirit is not like that in us, amen? So when you wake up in the morning, be thankful that you're safe and say, God, nevertheless, no matter what my flesh wants today, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great love to us. Lord, may we lay hold of your word. May we rejoice in your goodness and your love. Lord, would you bless us as we would continue to grow, grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Lord, would you continue to use your own holy word and your, whole, your own Holy Spirit to make the difference in our lives. Lord, help us that we would care about each other, that we would bless one another, that we would love one another. You, Lord, are the only one capable of accomplishing these things. We ask you to do it. We thank you that you are doing it. We thank you that we can rejoice in these things. And we thank you for so great a salvation, for so such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Oh, Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus. We praise you in his name. 